Welcome back, Daryl and Ashley. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to discuss all things longevity. So last time we spoke, we discussed how COVID was impacting longevity expectations, which I'm sure is still being worked through. However, today we're going to be focusing and, and discussing how the environment impacts longevity. So if we could start by explaining how mortality and climate change are linked, and that'll be a good starting point. Sure, and uh, thanks for inviting us back. So mortality is affected by um, a wide range of factors. So things like um, age affect mortality. So, so people who are older are more likely to die. Gender generally affects mortality. So we, we generally know that women tend to live longer than men. But also lifestyle factors, environmental factors all have a role to play. So lifestyle factors might be things like whether you choose to, to smoke or not, you choose to drink or not, um, your diet, your exercise levels, whereas the environment around us can include you know, our physical environment, the temperature we're in, the levels of pollution around us. And they all have a role to play and everyone has their own kind of mortality based on kind of their, their life. To the extent that climate change has that ability to change our lifestyles and change the environment around us, then it's right to consider whether climate change could be linked to mortality rates and to investigate what changes we might see in the future. So in particular, as LNG, we take on pensioner liabilities and they're with us for decades to come. And LNG has a very long term outlook. So whilst the impacts of climate change might not be immediate or take a very long time to emerge, we're still interested to know how they might affect our book of business, our annuitants, our customers. And in particular, when we're thinking about how climate change and mortality are linked, it's important to be aware that it's not just about temperature change. So whilst temperature change might be one of the things that happens as our climate changes, there'll also be many kind of changes in, in how we respond to that, so how governments respond to climate change, how society responds to climate change. So for example, if lots of people were to give up eating meat or we all start driving electric cars, that will change the environment around us in terms of levels of pollution and individual sort of lifestyles. And they'll all have an impact on an individual's mortality. So those changes are, are probably just as important as sort of temperature and weather patterns and things like that. It's also about how we respond. As your team comes up with, what timeframes do you look at? How far into the future do you set these for? So, so when we normally set our longevity assumptions, they're, they're for the next few decades. So you know, many of our customers are at that retirement age and they're 60, 70. So those customers could be with us for 20, 30 years, some of them easily. And when we're thinking about climate scenarios um, and some of the investigation work we've been recently doing, we're thinking about what's going to happen between sort of now and the next 50 or so years. And that's sort of the, the period of time that it could take certain scenarios to be realised. So, so it's a very long-term projection that we're we're thinking about. Thanks, Daryl. And Ashley, could you talk us through some of the research that your team has done in this area? Yeah, absolutely. So, as um, Daryl has said, it's um, it's not just about temperature, but nevertheless, um, temperature is a very, very convenient and important starting point because obviously the ultimate goals for climate change have been expressed in terms of uh, you know, temperature containment, and that's the way we measure our, our progress. And also there's quite a lot of existing research into uh, temperature and, um, and mortality in relation to temperature as well. So 
in, in a sense, it's a bit like our bodies seem to prefer being at certain temperatures than other temperatures. And there's a lot of research both in the UK and internationally looking into this. So we've kind of tapped into that research and developed it a little bit. To kind of cut a long story short, if you look at the, the relationship between temperature and mortality, you get a kind of U-shaped curve, if you like. That kind of chimes with common sense, I guess, in the sense that uh, our bodies don't like it being too hot and they don't like it being too cold. And in between, there's a kind of a sweet spot, you know, like a, a Goldilocks zone where mortality is at, at its lowest. Now, what's interesting is that uh, although I call that a U-shaped curve, it's a distorted U-shape. And that's kind of that Goldilocks point is a little bit more towards the warm end of the scale rather than the cold end. We prefer things to be a little bit warmer than average rather than colder. And that's an important observation when it comes to doing these projections and, and, and modelling that we have to do. So what we're actually looking at then is to examine how much time will we spend in the future in different parts of the temperature curve. How much time in the future will we be uh, having in the warm end of the curve compared with the, the cooler end? Now, obviously, if the temperatures are warming up, we're going to be saying that perhaps like next year, for example, if each day were a little bit tiny bit warmer than it is on the corresponding day this year, we'd been spending most of that time moving along the curve towards that sweet spot. So most of the days we would be going from slightly higher mortality to slightly lower mortality. And if that were followed through, you'd begin to think, well, this probably from a, at least from a mortality point of view is quite good. Uh, mortality would be coming down uh, as temperature goes up. But unfortunately, as with all these things, it's not quite as simple as that, because what the uh, temperatures from the Met Office and others are suggesting is that it's not just that the average temperature will increase over the years, but also the volatility in temperature. So on average, days will be warmer than they are now, but they are also going to be less predictable. So we're going to see more heat waves, but also more freezes. And that's something that we need to take into account as well. So if you go back to thinking about your U-shaped curve with kind of high mortality at both ends, that's going to kind of kick in more often than it does now, not just the droughts, but also the freezes. If you like, it's a, it's kind of two forces working in opposite directions. One that says, uh, generally speaking, we'd expect mortality to go down as temperature increases and sort of winters become milder. We need to keep revisiting the models and, and making sure that we have our best understanding of, of where these curves are moving. And then overlaid on, on that temperature-based um, analysis is what Dowell's also referred to, is the human behaviour side. So there could be some cancelling out to some degree, but really you're looking at what the net effect would be. So overlaying behaviour and society effects can't be an easy task. How has what we've seen or experienced in the last 18 months impacted or, or shaped our assumptions? Because as well as direct temperature effects, there are behaviour effects, indirect effects of, of transition. And that's really hard to model. And I think COVID has probably taught us how difficult that is in terms of how have people been reacting to whether people will comply with lockdown, whether people will comply with mask wearing, whether people will comply with vaccination. 
all these kind of things have parallels in the climate scenario. How will people react to various initiatives? And Daryl's already mentioned um, things like becoming vegetarian or, or fuel use or um, travel. You know, all those things are kind of personal decisions and they will affect when everything is aggregated, they will affect mortality as will the behaviour of governments as well. So just like governments' responses to COVID have been different, different governments will respond to climate change in different ways and some will be more proactive than others. So it's a very complicated picture, but it's also from a modelling point of view, a fascinating work. Thanks, Ashley. Curious to know if you take into consideration how different age groups will change their patterns. So between older members who are now taking their pension compared to those who are younger and are our deferred members. Do you take a view on how they're more or less likely to change their behavioural patterns based on external influences? It's it's a bit of a nuanced answer, really, because in the one sense, yes, if just thinking like sort of the older older age groups are a bit more sort of stuck in their ways, as, as you might say, that wouldn't affect their mortality a great deal. And I, I, I think that is true. But if there are the kind of behaviours, climate related behaviour changes in the younger age groups, then of course, they will be the pensioners of, of tomorrow, you know, <laughs> of decades to come. And the changes that they make will become more observable, you know, like a, an 80 year old sort of becoming vegetarian overnight, I don't think is really going to make a, a great deal of difference to their, uh, to their mortality in the next few years but um, somebody who's kind of changes their lifestyle in, in sort of a similar way and a much younger age can have kind of delayed effects. And you mentioned um, earlier in your answer around the, the Met Office and data that they provide. Are mm. there other sources that you use? Uh, is there enough data out there or is that one thing that's impacting your analysis? Well, there are, there are a lot of um, temperature projections. We've obviously looked at the, the Met Office with a, a focus on our UK business, but there are a lot of international organisations and, and uh, you know, UN-sponsored bodies looking into uh, climate change and making forecasts for other territories. But they all, I think the kind of the common denominator with all those forecasts is that there is uh, a consensus of uh, an increasing average temperature, but also crucially increasing volatility. That's the theme with, with all our territories. And as an insurer and a large asset owner, what can we do and others in the market to help prevent the increase in mortality due to climate change specifically? Well, I think that's a, that's a really good question. And I, I like that because I think it it challenges uh, what might be called a, a sort of an old fashioned perception of insurers as kind of being passive players in that, you know, the idea that uh, as insurers, we just do business. Either way, what that means is that insurers receive money long before they end up paying it out or paying it out in full. What that means is they have quite a lot of money to invest. And the idea of insurers as investors is, is sometimes overlooked, but insurers as investors do, as you say, they have considerable influence um, and power uh, in terms of making investment decisions which are good for society as well as good for policyholders. And I think those two things don't actually have a conflict of interest. You know, doing the right thing for society is also good from an investment point of view, which will reward policyholders as well as shareholders. So yes, um, as an insurer, I think we definitely have responsibilities on, on, on both counts and, and not in conflict to 
do uh, to make sure we make investment decisions and invest in businesses that are viable in terms of being aligned with climate goals and societal objectives as well, which are also built in, in line with those goals. There is a, a big part for insurers to play in this, and I think they are they are using their clout more and more in investing in the right kind of businesses to support climate objectives and ultimately ease that transition and in that way to bring mortality down or at least to, to avoid it going up. And I think also that in terms of the the business that we do as an ongoing basis, it has to it has to specifically and explicitly look into and account for the effects or the potential effects of of climate change. However difficult that is to model, and it is difficult as I've as I've said, I think it does need to be factored in with the uh, appropriate margins to allow for the uncertainty around those models. What mortality trends do you do we expect to see? going forward? So that's a, a really tricky question. So there's there's a lot of different factors that will play into sort of drives mortality trends in the future. So yeah, we are still in sort of going through a pandemic. So we'll need to see how all of those different effects play out in the, the short to medium term, whether COVID-19 becomes endemic and to what extent and, and how quickly health services can can catch up. There's there's the usual drivers of mortality, things like medical progression, medical research, lifestyle changes that will shape future mortality. And then, then climate change is kind of another one in the long list of things that can affect future trends. Working out which of those is going to dominate in the future and you know, some of these effects are, are positive and, and make us live longer and some are negative and, and shorten life expectancy. Deciding exactly how it's going to play out going forward and, and to what extent is, is a very difficult question. And also the, the level of uncertainty around the climate change in particular is is quite high and is likely to vary between sort of our various sort of territories that we do business in. So there's not going to be sort of one single trend in a, across the whole world. It'll vary between you know how different governments and societies react to, to changes they're seeing and and the places where people live will, will dictate the extent and to which their their physical environment changes with with climate change impacts coming through. So no one dominating impact at the moment. So lots of things sort of going on that we need to tease out the the individual impacts of and and see how they play out. And lots of uncertainty in in especially in those sort of very long term scenarios where we we need to see how governments and society react to to the changes that are coming through. We ensure pensions of people based not just in the UK but also the the US, Bermuda, and Canada. Does your team research into longevity trends across all the territories we write business in or are there equivalent teams doing a similar thing but focus on a specific area? So my team in the UK will think about the trends across all of our territories where we write annuity business and then we'll work closely with sort of the local pricing teams in say the US or our Bermudan business to sort of translate them into assumptions. The considerations that we make are slightly different between say UK and, and other territories because We've got a lot of historic backbook business in the UK, whereas in the, the US and Canada, it's more about kind of writing new business and deciding at what, what price we're happy to take on new business with a sort of slightly lower focus on the business we've already written because it's sort of much smaller compared to, say, our UK book. So so we do deal with all of those territories, but with slightly different emphasis on um, on sort of the purpose and the use of those assumptions for, say, more of a pricing new business use or a thinking about the value of our existing backbook of, of business. And looking back at historical mortality trends, so going back, you know, 10, 20 years, we saw a general 
improvement in life expectancy and, and in more recent years prior to COVID the rate of improvement in life expectancy had actually slowed down quite considerably. Is it too early to say how COVID will impact this trend? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so if we go back sort of several decades, we saw sort of really big improvements in mortality, you know, things like sort of you know, the NHS coming onto line in the 1950s and then medical advances and, and smoking rates decreasing. And then around sort of 2015 or so, we did see sort of a fairly sudden sort of slowdown in mortality improvements. And that sort of continued for several years. 2019 saw a slight change to that. There, there were sort of mortality improvements in 2019 that were higher than sort of the most recent five years. And then, of course, from 2020 onwards, the pandemic happened. And actually, it's very difficult to see what the true underlying trend is. So it's likely that we're going to have to you know, allow the, the pandemic to sort of play out. And that, that could actually change it in, in either direction. It could make mortality improvements higher or lower than they were, or even not particularly different. There really are sort of quite a few opposing effects that we need to just see how they play out over the next year or two years before we can sort of make that that call. So it's a very sort of steady and cautious time at the moment in terms of not making sort of large movements in those those assumptions until we've got the data to to back that up. Yeah, that makes makes sense. There's a lot of different variables in there from the the pandemic that I'm sure can change it either way, depending on on how they balance. And you won't know until the data comes out in a 12 or, or 24 months or even later on, see what the true effect of the pandemic is. And looking back again, you know, 10, 20 years, was climate a factor that you looked into or is this more of a recent factor that is being reviewed and is taking more of a front and centre position? And is this being driven by the emergence and, and focus of ESG related risks within the market itself? I think it's fair to say that as a, a longevity risk factor, it really wasn't on the radar 20 years ago. We, we started to talk about, about about climate change, but it wasn't really with that kind, in that kind of insurance context uh, of, of longevity risk. I think it's, it's fair to say at that point. The fact that LNG participate in sort of producing a TCFD, that, that kind of is what kind of spurred us on to kind of start this work, looking at the, the link between mortality and temperature and, and climate. So things like that, that sort of wider focus on climate does sort of bring things like this further up our agenda. But I guess as a longevity team, it, it is our job to think about all the things that could affect mortality. So I think we would have been doing it at some point, but the yeah, maybe it kind of raises it up the agenda because actually there is a great focus on whether companies are really thinking about these actively. And this is one way of showing our, our kind of active thinking on climate change. Are there any other areas that you're looking at that are more of a smaller factor at the moment, but you expect will gain more prominence in your analysis or in the market's analysis in the in the near future? I think it's unknown unknowns in, in, in a sense, really. Uh, my, my sense on that would be that there would be a kind of um, maybe a, a new focus on the existing candidates on that list, especially pandemic risk and the idea that sort of pandemics don't necessarily have to kind of take the form that we always thought that they would take. So it's difficult to kind of think about something that has kind of never cropped up before, but the idea maybe we should concentrate on perhaps being a little bit more open-minded about the factors that are already on our radar. Yeah, I think just to sort of back that up, sort of the, the pandemic also made us realise sort of the you know, the types of measures governments might be willing to take in certain scenarios. So 
if we go back two years, the idea that the government might make it illegal for us to go on holiday would have been laughable and ridiculous. But actually, it all seemed very rational at some point sort of during the last couple of years. So that is kind of an extra data point to help us, as I said, rethink about the, the things that are on our list already. Are we, you know, could they be a greater or a lesser extent of, um, impact than we've already considered or, or not? But yeah, the unknown unknowns is, is very difficult to, to model. That's really interesting. I hadn't actually thought about the way that the government had approached restrictions in the wake of the pandemic and and how it also varied from one country and, and one government to another. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Thank you both for, for joining me. It's been really insightful and, and very interesting indeed, especially following our conversation last year. And I look forward to chatting with you on the next series and, and see how things have evolved and developed. Remember, you can follow the series on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.